Welcome to the Savage Leader Podcast, where I interview leaders from all walks of life so that you can walk away with tips to apply to your life and your career. But this isn't your traditional leadership podcast, because I believe that leadership tips come from successful entrepreneurs and business executives, of course, but they also come from unexpected places, like from Navy SEALs, successful professional athletes, sports coaches, musicians, entertainers, and more. So let's dive right in to today's episode. My hope is you walk away with something tangible that you can apply immediately to your life and your career. Today's guest on the Savage Leader podcast is Brian Reese. Brian is a serial entrepreneur and the founder and CEO of VA Claims Insider, Military Disability Made Easy, and HireVeterans.com. Brian also served in the Air Force before becoming an entrepreneur. Brian, thanks for coming on today. Hey, Darren. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So take me back. Your, your life is a tapestry of so many rich stories, both before the military, in the military, and beyond. Where did you grow up and what kind of things were you interested in? I grew up in a small town in northern Minnesota called Brainerd, Minnesota. And, and from the youngest possible age I can remember, I was always an entrepreneur. You know, I was the kid who the principal called my parents because I was running a store out of my school locker. <laughs> and it was a very successful store, by the way, because it was fulfilling a need, right? The, the kids wanted candy and, and nobody had it for them. So, you know, from a young, young age, though, I've always had the entrepreneurship bug trying to find and add value to places where it doesn't exist. And so that's sort of in my DNA, I think it is biologically ingrained in me. But the other aspect of me from a young age was sports. Very, very competitive. Now, I had an older brother, got involved in ice hockey at a young age. And you know that became really the focus and the focal point for most of my young life, which eventually led me to uh, the Air Force Academy, where I was blessed to, to serve and fulfill a childhood dream of, of playing college hockey at a high level, uh, get a great education, and serve my country at the same time. Yeah, I was going to ask you, what actually prompted you to join the Air Force if you're inspired by entrepreneurship and obviously a great, great athlete in terms of hockey is, what was that really impetus to join the Air Force Academy? The truth is it was twofold. Number one was I wanted to absolutely get a great education and where I went, of course, I wanted to try to get a scholarship as well. I mean, I, I thought I was good enough to be able to play at the division one level, maybe not at the highest, highest level, but uh, on a good team which really the Air Force kind of fit that bill as sort of middle tier. And I also had kind of the, the business bug. And so I knew I wanted to study management and marketing and did a little bit of research on the Air Force Academy. And you know, unbeknownst to a lot of people, you think of the Air Force Academy, you think of the Air Force flies planes. And yeah, a lot of people do fly. But what you don't understand or what most people don't realize is the business of the military, the business of the Air Force and the Air Force Academy has one of the top management, marketing, and leadership programs in the United States. And so that's where I choose to focus my major. Interesting. What kind of roles did you have actually in the Air Force beyond that? I was a contracting officer. So within the military, I was the guy who, in, in simplest terms, I bought stuff. So for example, in Afghanistan in 2011, one of my main jobs was to procure to buy services, supplies, construct buildings and things for troops 
and foreign nationals, Afghan National Army folks. We had roles in all of that. So I was a procurement guy. I was a purchaser, spent some time in program management as well. There's a lot of similarities between contracting, purchasing, and program management. And so I was able to cut my chops in both. So play that forward a little bit. I know there was so many experiences from the military, but what were some of the big lessons that you gained in the military and, and how you've, or how that's impacted your life and your career? Probably the, the biggest lesson I learned in the military was service and humility. You find out in a hurry that there's a lot of men and women who are better than you. <laughs> you don't know everything as a leader. And so even though you know you may be in charge from a rank perspective, you might have 10 or 15 or 100 or 200 troops, you may not be the best. There may be folks that you're leading who are better than you. They may be bigger, faster, stronger, smarter, more equipped, have more experience. And I think going in for me, I had to really, really humble myself before my troops and realize that my job was to serve them. And if I didn't serve them and I didn't love them, we weren't going to be successful. And, you know, again, just taking on some of those early, early lessons, I had a great master sergeant who helped bang some of those principles home for me when I was a young lieutenant. What that means is somebody with 10 to 15 years of experience in the military, whereas at the time, you know, I really had none. And he mentored me and hammered home some of those points of, of humility and service. Yeah, beyond some of those other, obviously, really high points of your military service, I know you talked about the concept of brokenness and just how that's been impactful in your life and really how that spawned in some ways your own journey as well as a journey of it as an entrepreneur. Can you take me through one or more of those in terms of brokenness and, and how it really can serve you? And I've been broken. I mean, I've been completely broken three times that I can really think of. And, and when I talk about brokenness, I think it's important to differentiate maybe what that means. You hear people say things like, oh, you're broken or that, that dude's broken. I'm talking about brokenness and what that really means at its core. And what it means to me is you are physically and mentally unable to go on. Or, or at least that's what you think. And, you know, I remember one specific instance I was going through a divorce, was suffering from, you know, really, really severe mental health issues, post-traumatic stress disorder, cyclothymic disorder, which is a, a milder form of bipolar, depression, anxiety. I was abusing, you know, alcohol and drugs. I mean, I was in a really bad spot. And the thought of having to lose my son or share custody of him and not being able to restore a marriage that you know, I went into thinking, you know, this, this was the love of my life. Like I mean, we were going to be married forever. The combination of all of those things, this was at a time, Darren, when, you know, I was running 20 to 30 to 40 miles a week during this period of time, you know, I was in shape physically. And when all of this came to a head, I was so broken. I remember a specific instance in my bedroom, Cibolo, Texas, suburb of San Antonio. I was so broken that I just collapsed. And my ex-wife at the time 
literally had to pick me up off the ground. She had to hold me. And so to me, that that's what I mean when I talk about brokenness. Uh, and I've been there multiple times. And, and believe me, I don't, I don't like it. I hate it. It sucks. There's nothing fun about it. But as I've shared my story with so many other people, I find that you know a lot of us have had that happen. Whether it's a marriage situation, you know, divorce, a death of a loved one, strains on relationships, a business failure. This is life. I mean, we can get kicked in the teeth and we all deal with it. And I think the best way we can get through it and try to make sense of it is to talk about it, which is counterintuitive because, you know, a lot of, a lot of folks think I'm not going to talk about it because that's too vulnerable. I don't want to share that because it's going to make me look weak. And it actually does the opposite. Not only are you not weak, it makes you stronger (laughs) and it's therapeutic to talk about it. There's so much there. And I'm just curious because we all have different degrees of some of the experiences that you've shared, even publicly. How do you go about getting off the mat, not once, not twice, but three times, and even interesting your perspective looking forward is you know that's not the last. There's going to be another period of of brokenness, hopefully not to that extent. But how do you like how do you persevere in those really challenging moments where you were so physically broken and mentally broken that you couldn't even get off the ground? Prayer was one thing. Whatever you believe in, there's times when you may have everything you can do to get down on your knees and pray to whoever it is that you believe in. That was one thing, prayer, support from my family, have a a loving, loving parents. My mom and dad, my brother is a a medical doctor and he's a little bit older than me, but he's really helped me through some tough times and then serving other people. I truly believe Darren, that all of us have this innate biological need to serve other people. And When things aren't going well for you, truly, I think the best thing you can do is try to help somebody else. And I'll just give the simplest example. Maybe it's you're driving to pick up your kids from school and you decide to fist bump and hug somebody who's homeless. Maybe you give them $5 and you sit and pray with them. I mean, I'll just share one experience and this is not to brag. I was taking my son to an event at school and we were running late and I'm frustrated. I'm rattled. Some of my anxiety had spiked. We were hitting traffic. We're driving through stoplights and we get to his school and we're late and we're like jogging out. And my son, my eight-year-old son's like, come on, dad, we're late. I'm yelling at him in the car. I just felt like a failure as a father. And we run up the stairs and there's a homeless guy laying on the stairs. It's like 95 degrees in Texas. And he's moaning. And I mean, I could, he's like, he's thirsty. I see no water around. And we stopped just for a minute. My son, my eight-year-old son walks up to this guy and hugs him. I mean, I didn't, I didn't do anything. He walks up to this guy, he hugs him and he asks him if we can get him food or water. And I just like, I mean, I just broke down, man. I just, I lost it. And I had that realization that like, this is what really matters. Like serving other people, being a good human, 
loving other people, nothing matters more than that in life. And it was a really good lesson for me at a time when, you know, I was just being a complete jerk. And so that would be the lesson I would share with people is try to find a way to serve somebody else. It could just be one person. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's somebody at work. Maybe you write somebody a thank you note. You help somebody who's homeless. You you buy food for someone. You buy lunch for somebody. Those little things can go so far. And you never know when you're going to impact somebody's life. It's really powerful what you said. I mean, one, just that you instilled that in your son, that spirit of service. But also, interestingly, is in your one of your most challenging times in your life, it wasn't about you, you know, getting yourself healed and fixed. And it was about, about prayer, was about community, was around connection with family and around service. Nothing that was self-serving at all, which is really interesting in terms of that's the best way to help ourselves is actually to take an outward focus. Amen. I, I think it's so important. And, and I think, Darren, what can happen is when you're in that moment, you know, the, the woe is me, uh, you know, I just want to be on the couch eating food, you know, I want to go drink a bottle of alcohol, whatever your situation is that is you're struggling with, it gets you to that point. As humans, we tend to collapse inward. And to me, that's where the destruction happens. I think you need to serve outward. And that can be the focus that can help you break free of that. So how do you translate all that? The initial spark as an entrepreneur selling candy out of your locker, being a you know hustler in the, in the streets or in the, the hallways of your school with these lessons of service and I guess you didn't say gratitude, but prayer and, and community. And, and how did that translate into actually becoming an entrepreneur and starting your first business? Well, a lot of trial and error and a lot of failures. You know, what a lot of folks don't know is I've probably had eight or nine other businesses that completely failed, you know, ideas of, I mean, I had a a website we were going to do with travel back in the late 2000s. I had a mobile test prep app at the time when the, the iPhone recently launched. I think it was 2008. I had a, you know, along the lines when the people of Walmart and some of these other, you know, kind of funny, hilarious websites and the gifts were taking off. We had a, a startup that was in that space. You know, again, there were a lot of failures. There were a lot of trial and errors. And I can tell you the difference was this. Every other business I had tried to start prior to serving veterans didn't reflect who I was at my core. It wasn't my why. It wasn't the reason that I was put here on earth. And I truly believe that's why those businesses didn't do well. I don't think it had anything to do with market conditions. I don't think it had anything to do with any of that stuff. I think it had to do with the fact that it just wasn't at my core of who I was. And it didn't allow me to serve my people, which are veterans. And once I shifted that focus to serving those who served, the people I knew, that's where everything changed in my life. So how did this combination of this just natural entrepreneur from selling candy out of your locker room in the in the hallways of your school, plus this spirit of service, how did that translate into starting your first business? Yeah. So actually the, the very first business I tried to start was a, a mobile test prep company. And we became pretty successful on the early app store with that app. But 
there's one area where we really failed and that is our product was not that good. And I learned in a hurry that you can be successful early on, but if your product or your service is no good, you're going to have a really, really hard time growing sustainably. And we hadn't built the right infrastructure behind the product. And right about the time we were getting ready to pivot, I got deployment orders to Afghanistan. And so, I mean, essentially, we ended up having to shut it down. So long story short is that's one of about 10 different failures of failed businesses that happened during the period of about, you know, 2005 to 2015. And, you know, those are the things people don't want to talk about. People don't understand the failures that typically serve as the lessons learned that are maybe the impetus for your success. And, you know, people will always talk about this, this idea of a, the aha moment or the overnight success. Truthfully, I don't believe those exist. There was no aha moment for me. My overnight success has been 10 plus 15 years in the making. And, you know, that was really what sort of led to this, though, was I had some experience in tech. I had some experience in website development. I had some personal frustrations with my own disability claim. I was working with a a Navy, former Navy F-18 pilot who was working on starting a coaching and consulting business and helped him do that for a little while. And along the way, I just learned, like, these are my peeps, like, I keep talking about disability claims and benefits. I keep helping people at work about all these things. There's so many areas here that are untapped. Why don't we try making a business out of it? I mean, that's kind of what led to this. There was no singular moment that led to the creation of VA Claims Insider. I think it's interesting because obviously you looked for a pain in the marketplace, but also almost like an extension of your own situation and some of the frustrations that you had. And I know you you started to tell your story, I think, publicly on Facebook Live, and that was really the genesis for the business. But what was it that allowed you to take that leap and to be more public with some of your own personal issues and, and really starting to create that company and that brand and that movement? That's a very good question. You know, I, I haven't truly thought deeply about what led me to actually share that. Kind of like I mentioned earlier, though, on the brokenness this was in a very, very dark period of my life. And I think it comes back to me wanting to try to give of myself, even in a period where I was personally struggling. And, you know, I I mean, I remember holding the mobile device in our spare bedroom, Cibolo, Texas, upstairs. I mean, I remember I was sweating. I mean, my arm was sweating in my arms. And I remember thinking like, I'm about to tell the world that I have PTSD. And like my family didn't even know. Like I'd never even told my family about some of the struggles that I had been dealing with. And I think it just, Darren, I think it goes back again to that spirit of service and wanting to try to help somebody else, even though I was you know, deeply struggling with my own issues at the time. And how did you go from telling the world and telling the public about you struggling with some of those PTSD demons and so forth. How did that extend into an actual business? Kind of by accident. (laughs) And so, um, and and I don't say that tongue in cheek. I mean, it it really sort of happened by accident in that all these veterans started watching. I mean, people started showing up. People then started saying, Brian, that's my story. Like, I feel like everything you just shared 
is exactly what happened to me. I just went through a divorce. I've been an alcoholic. I'm, you know, struggling with depression. I just lost my job. I'm, you know, whatever. And all these folks just started jumping on and reiterating what I was saying. And that, you know, I remember thinking to myself at the time that I was the only one going through this. And it's, I mean, it is completely bonkers for me to think about that now. We're all struggling with at least one thing that nobody else knows about. And, you know, truly, I think though that me being vulnerable rapidly grew our following so fast that I had to turn it into a business. I mean, so many people started following, so many people wanted my time, so many people started emailing me that I had to do it. And I started looking at, wait a minute, maybe this could be an exit for me out of federal civil service to do this full time if only it generated a little bit of revenue. And, you know, for like the first year and a half of our existence, we didn't generate much revenue at all. It was really more of a side hustle. And it wasn't until we launched where today is our flagship program called VA Claims Insider Elite, and I started certifying and training others in my process, that's when we really pivoted and became what I would call a real sustainable business. Yeah, I think it's interesting is that not only did you create, as you said, a sustainable business, but people talk a lot about purpose. I think you've almost superseded those things and you've created a movement, a movement that combines a for-profit entity with a, a nonprofit philanthropic angle with some intersections with government and po- public policy and, and governmental policy. So can you talk to me about like, what does it mean to, to have started a movement? How do you go about sustaining it over time? Well, I'm trying to figure that out myself. No, just kidding. So I think that truly entrepreneurs in general, if you look at some of the most successful businesses of this generation, they launched behind movements. They really, really did. I mean, look at, a, a, look at Facebook. I'm going to use Facebook or now it's called Meta, I guess. But if you look at the early days of Facebook, it was exclusive. It was special. It was very, very hyper niche focused. And it caught on super fast and it turned itself into this movement that, you know, obviously people don't realize that for the first year or two of Facebook's existence, you had to have a .edu email address just to sign up, right? They didn't launch to the whole world. If, if Facebook would have launched to the whole world, there's no way we'd be talking about it today because it wouldn't have been successful. And so, Darren, one of the things I've learned is to launch a movement you need to hyper niche. And what I mean is don't just niche, hyper niche. So an example would be, you know, I ask coaches and consultants who need help and I'll ask them who they serve. Most of the time they can't tell me. They can't really tell me who they serve. And I'll say, okay, is it, is it men? Is it women? Well, it's, it's both. Okay. Tell me about where do they live? What do they look like? What's their life like? What are their jobs? Who do they hang out with? How much money do they have? What do they buy? <laughs> you start. You have to go really, really deep into your customer avatar to find out who it is you really serve. And so, for I'll use an example of of VA Claims Insider. Now, we didn't launch to all twenty million veterans. If our marketing messages would have launched to twenty million veterans, we would have failed because we would have reached nobody. But instead, what we did is we said, okay, there's 20 million veterans. 
the statistics show there's about 5 million disabled veterans. And based upon the veterans who have already told us, about 80% of those who are disabled are underrated, meaning they're not getting the benefits that they deserved. So when we started our initial launch and our ad strategy, we were targeting about a million specific disabled veterans um, across Facebook and Google. And I think that's part of the reason why our growth accelerated so fast was getting very hyper-focused on who we serve. Yeah, I think definitely great lesson in terms of really starting focus and then and then expanding hours. But I think also just this notion of vulnerability and connection, you sharing your story so authentically, just creating such an authentic brand and experience to this hyper-niche audience. No doubt. I mean, no doubt that the personal, you know, the vulnerability is what initially got folks to come. And then I think probably once we hit about six months in, when we actually started running a paid strategy, really, really getting hyper-focused on who we serve was important. But yeah, there's a lesson here, I think, for every leader, Darren, is that be more vulnerable. (laughs) And I'll have people ask me, you know, well, I feel like I'm being too vulnerable. And I'm like, I can guarantee you, you are not being too vulnerable. I've never seen that. I've never met a single leader who I've went, oh, that's way too vulnerable. Like you shouldn't share that. Like, you know, you're going to, you're going to lose your leadership team by sharing that. There's no such thing. And so the advice I have for leaders is be more vulnerable, not less. Absolutely. Yeah. In, in vulnerability comes strength, as you said. It's in, it's counterintuitive. I mean, I'm telling coming out of the military, if you would have told me that being more vulnerable was going to be the key to me improving my life, improving my relationships, building a better, stronger business, a purpose-driven business, leading folks the, the right way. If you would have told me that vulnerability would have done that, I would have laughed at you. I mean, that's, that's not what you think of when you think of you know, strong leaders in the military, but that's the truth. And so, you know, again, be more vulnerable. I think that will help you reach your potential. Yeah, I think one other principle is just this idea of creation of community. Just from what I've seen you talk about is both internally, but externally. Do you mind talking about just the importance of community, both as a leader, but also in creating a movement? Sure. Community is pivotal. And, you know, VA Claims Insider, we were really the first business in the veteran space to focus on building a robust community. The funny part, I talked about how we were bootstrapped, you know, started with 5,000 bucks on a credit card. I talked a little bit about how, you know, we really were sort of a side hustle for about 12 plus months. You know, the reality is I was so focused on building the community and building the movement that I realized that once I get this to a certain point, if we focus on connection, if we focus on service and we give away our best stuff, Eventually, I'm just going to ask them. I'm just going to ask my community, what do you need now? And in August of 2017, our mastermind membership had about 1,000 members in it at the time. It was a, a private Facebook group that got exclusive access to me and some extra training videos. I just asked them. I reached out. I said, if we were to, to develop a done with you VA claims program, where an expert in my process walks the journey with you, is that something you would be interested in? Please comment yes below. And I mean, it was like 
25 minutes later, you know, the post just filled up with yes answers. The post floated to the top of the Facebook algorithm. And I remember looking at my dad, we were standing in my kitchen and I showed him and I said, this is it. This is how we turn this movement into a business where I can hire veterans and we can serve more veterans. It's this, this is how we do it. But it all started from building a community and then just asking them what they need next. Yeah, what a powerful example of how community both is a source for insight, right? From a business perspective in terms of what should we build next, but also in terms of the mastermind groups, in terms of providing value to one another and just the the support of creating a movement. So it's just a really powerful example of how community is beneficial in so many different ways. It's huge. And, you know, I, I think right now, 24-7, 365, there's about 15,000 members now in the mastermind group, but they're all learning, sharing, and serving each other. And yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll jump in and I'll, you know, do a video post or I'll, I comment on a lot of posts as well, but the mastermind is run by the other members of our programs. And you know, to me, that aspect is just so powerful. And it's something that we do better. We do community better than any other, other business in this space. Well, Brian, I know you're a super busy guy. You got a lot of responsibilities beyond being an entrepreneur, being a family man. I do appreciate your time. Where can people go to find out more about you and your company and all the benefits that you provide to veterans? You're very welcome again. Thanks for having me on. Um, sure. Uh, anyone who needs some help, if you're stuck, if you're frustrated, if you're underrated, if you're wondering, you know, how do I get these VA benefits that I've earned for my service? You can find us online at vaclaimsinsider.com. Fantastic. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Savage Leader Podcast. My hope is you are walking away with tactics that you can apply to become a better leader in your life and in your career. If you're looking for additional insight and tactics, be sure to check out my book titled The Savage Leader, 13 Principles to Become a Better Leader from the Inside Out. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and I would truly appreciate it if you would leave a review and also rate the podcast. Thanks and see you all in the next episode.